0: to us this morning listen I tell you a mystery we will not all sleep but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed and when that happens it will be it will come true what has been written death has been swallowed up in victory So there's some great days um, in the Bible. That's one of the most uh, astonishing days that's predicted for the future. But uh, there was one also in the Old Testament I'd like to just reflect on for a few moments. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Moses, uh, was granted one of these uh, amazing days, if not weeks. Joshua led the armies of Israel into the promised land in Canaan. And it was an immense time in the history of the world. Children of Israel were entering Canaan on a twofold mission. One was to be an instrument of judgment upon the immorality and the idolatry of the tribes who had been there for hundreds of years before them. The other part of the mission was that they were to receive the promised land, the land of Canaan, as an inheritance from God. So that was what was happening in this entrance into the Promised Land. And uh, standing before the Israelite army on that first entrance was um, well, was a strong and walled city called Jericho. And God gave them a glorious, clear plan. Um, he didn't do it for the rest of the military campaign, but he did it on this, in this first week. It was a perfect plan. Filled with the number seven. The number seven in the Bible is a picture of God's perfect work. There were there were seven priests who were walking in front of the Israelite army. They were they were blowing seven ram's horn trumpets. Um, they were to do this for six days. On the seventh day, they were to do a circuit of the city seven times. And all, at the end of the seventh walk around the city, they were to do three things. Three things were to happen when they arrived at the the end of the seventh circuit on the seventh day with the seven priests. You're getting the picture? Joshua was to utter a word of command. The Israelite soldiers were to shout. The trumpets were to sound. And the thick walls of Jericho would fall down by divine power the enemies of Israel would be judged. And those who had believed the promise of grace, there was one family living on the walls of Jericho who'd who'd been given a promise of salvation, and they had believed that promise, they were to be rescued. And that was the first day and the first trumpet in the conquest of their inheritance. Um, So if you like, that was kind of the first trumpet that was sounded as the people of Israel were to overcome their enemies. This trumpet that's called the last trumpet in Corinthians is, uh, is announcing the death of the last, the last enemy of men and women. Now, there's a reference to it as well, if you don't mind, a cross-reference in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let me read that for you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who were left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore encourage one another with these words. So there's, here's another day and another plan. Uh, and in, in one sense, I think it could be argued that it's the last installment of, of the plan revealed to Joshua at the Battle of Jericho. A man called Joshua, who we know as Jesus, will come out of heaven. He will be accompanied by an army of angels and Christians who have gone before us. There will be a loud command, there'll be a voice, there'll be the sounding of the last trumpet and the final victory of God will be brought in. And everyone who's ever lived will be brought to life by the immense power of God. Every soul that's ever been conceived will be given a new body by the power of God, and the last enemy, the enemy of death, will give up its captives. So the last trumpet will sound, and the last enemy of God will be destroyed, and God's people will be given a new land. A promised land, a brand new creation, a new heavens and a new earth. Now, how do we know that that future plan, which is hinted at here in 1 Corinthians 15, how do we know it's going to work? How do we know it's actually going to come? And the answer of the New Testament is it's already worked in the experience of one man, the Lord Jesus Christ. One man has already Overcome death, he's already defeated death in resurrection, he's already received a glorified and immortal body, and that one man has gone to prepare a place for all who will trust him. He has reserved for us in heaven an inheritance which is incorruptible, is undefiled, and will never fade away. And in one Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, as we heard a few weeks ago, he is the first fruits. Of all who has fallen asleep. It happened in the case of the one man and it will happen just as 1 Corinthians chapter 15 predicts in the future. Now the great challenge that the New Testament brings before all of us is, uh, is this, to live today, to really live today in the light of that promised future. Let the things that will happen in that future Determine the kind of person that you will be in this present age. That's a great challenge because this present world is always putting immense pressure on you every day to live according to the standards and values of this present evil world. Adopt its attitude to consumerism. Live for money. Use money for self rather than for the gospel. Let your main passion in life be career development and ego enhancement rather than gospel service. Bring your children up to esteem television and clothes and music more than the word of God. It's the pressure of the world. Spend more time slouched in front of the TV or tending your immaculate garden than you do listening to the word of God or seeking his face in prayer. That's the pressure of the world. Keep your car clean and tidy, but neglect your heart. Dream about the next overseas holiday, but never give a thought to the glories of Jesus Christ. So the the challenge of 1 Corinthians 15 is to live in the present, in the light of that future day, when the last trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised. I will stand before the judge of all the earth. This was a problem for the church in Corinth, and it's our problem. That's why the Apostle Paul wants us to live in the light of that day when the last trumpet will sound. He wants you to be willing to live sacrificially for the gospel in the here and now, because you're deeply convinced of the rewards of the future world. I think that's what he's saying about himself. look at chapter 15 verses 29 to 30 this is his own testimony now if there is no resurrection what will those do who are baptized for the dead if the dead are not raised at all why are people baptized for them and as for us why do we endanger ourselves every hour i face death every day yes just as surely as i boast about you in christ jesus our lord if i fought with wild beasts in ephesus With no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let's do what the world does. Let's eat, drink, and be merry. We're going to die tomorrow. Well, now that's a really, really long introduction to my two points. The first is this. Anticipate the new world. As you live here and now, wherever you are this morning, anticipate the new world. A brief glance at this passage that was read to us will show that Paul has in mind very much the first couple of chapters in the book of Genesis. Uh, He speaks of Adam, he speaks of stars, of birds, of fish, of the moon. He talks about the first man who was made from dust. It's all creation language. And he's calling attention to a core principle of our Creator. The Lord gives to his creatures bodies that are suitable for the environment in which he places them. He gives the fish a body suitable for water. He gives the birds a body suitable for the air. He gives the moon one kind of glory. He gives the stars another kind of glory. As the environment, so the body. That's the principle that's going on here in 1 Corinthians 15. The first man, Adam, and all who followed him, including us, were made from the common elements found in the dust, earthly bodies for an earthly world. When I was a young Christian, we were told that if you, if you melted down the human body into all its chemical elements and sold them in the market, it would, it would cost 2 pounds four shillings to buy a human being. It's probably gone up now because of inflation. But we are composed, all of us, of dust, of the same common elements that are found throughout creation. But According to 1 Corinthians 15, there's a new world coming. And it's called here in verse 46, the spiritual world. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual... And this uh, future world, this spiritual world, will be more glorious in the same way as the flower is more glorious than the seed. The new world will have a continuity with this world in some way, but it will be infinitely more beautiful. Think of when we, when we walk down to the shops in the summer near here, we pass a front garden of someone who grows sunflowers that they are brown and yellow and glorious. There's a continuity between those majestic flowers that grow to about eight feet tall, it seems, and the little seed, there's a a continuity between the little seed that was buried in the soil and the magnificent thing that eventually comes to be. And the point is that uh, it would be like this when the last trumpet sounds, this present world, Will die pass away and something more glorious will come forth by the transforming power of the Creator. The point is that God is not stupid. Although the, the Corinthians might have intellectual difficulties imagining something as strange as a future resurrection of the body, God has no such problems. He's displayed his power in a whole variety of bodies in this present creation. Compare the galaxy of Andromeda with a hummingbird or with a, a clownfish. He, he'll have no problems creating a universe which will be similar to this one, but infinitely more glorious. As different as the seed is from the sunflower, so is the spiritual different from the earthly. You can't get your head around that if you think it's all silly. God actually, in this passage, calls you foolish. Look at uh, verse thirty-six. People were saying, "What kind? Of, well, how can this be? What kind of body do we have?" Well, but Paul says, "How foolish you are! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just the seed, perhaps of wheat or something else." So, <clears throat> the Corinthians had a problem with the resurrection of the body, I think, because they were paying more attention to Greek philosophy than to the Hebrew scriptures and the, and the Greek scriptures. But God has displayed his glory in a, in a whole variety of amazing ways in this present creation. And when a new creation comes forth at the last trumpet and Christ brings in a new heavens and a new earth, it will be absolutely astonishing. One of the films I saw years ago, which starred Geordie Foster and Matthew McConaughey was a film called Contact. Geordie Foster was very interested in um, life on other planets. She spends her life trying to make contact with uh, whatever is out there. And then she receives instructions to build a machine and she, she passes through something in the twinkling of an eye. She thinks people watching on think that the, the contraption has just fallen straight from the from the, um, the scaffolding has fallen straight to the earth. But she, in that twinkling of an eye, has had the most glorious experience. She's gone through um, time warps and wormholes and channels of majesty and glory. She's landed in another world of unutterable beauty and stillness, and she meets her father there. And it's a future world. It's beautiful and glorious. Well, it's just a little, I think it's just a little uh, human imaginative way of presenting something that is outside our our imagination. But I think the future world that's promising 1 Corinthians 15, this new universe, will far surpass anything that any of us can imagine. Only the imagination of God can conceive of what's coming. book of Revelation, of course, captures it here and there with beautiful pictures, story pictures, uh, picture language, a city whose streets are of gold and whose gates are made of jasper. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It's a glorious garden of Eden set in a perfect city. That's the way the picture unfolds at the end of Revelation. And in that imaginative picture, there's no need of heavenly bodies to give us light because the Lord God and his glory will give us light. And every man and woman in that new world will be a king. Language fails, imagination fails, but this is the world a future world that belongs to every man or woman who has put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. Anticipate the new world. It's meant to keep us going in this present world, the vision of the future. That's the first thing, anticipate the new world. Secondly, and more briefly, anticipate your new body. Now, those of you who look at me, Uh, Will know that I have more reasons to anticipate my new body than many of you sitting there in your fine health and strength. When I was in makeup before this um, service started, my wife spent 10 minutes removing rogue hairs from my face. I've got to an age where hairs grow where I don't want them to grow and they don't grow where I would very much like them to grow. But I'm anticipating a new body. When I was um, 25 years of age, fresh out of theological college, I went to the south to South Wales with Pauline to begin my ministry. I was based in a mining town called Aberdare. In my first year, I conducted 52 funerals. So my heart goes out to Andrew at this strange time. There was the burial of a young woman who burned to death while getting dressed in front of a coal fire in a two-up, two-down cottage. There was an old lady who died without a friend in the world, without without any family. There were only three of us at the funeral. Two of them were her next-door neighbours. I stood at the bedside of a man who was dying of cancer and watched him take his last breath. I got a phone call to say that Malcolm Lewis had died. His wife called me. I dashed over to his house. I got there before the emergency services. He'd had a, a massive aneurysm of his aortic um, vessel and had perished lying in bed. Bled was covered in blood. And I knelt there with Dora Lewis and prayed for her. On another occasion I looked, I went down into a hole in the ground in the cemetery at Hlanileth and there in that hole in the ground were dozens of things about the size of shoeboxes, all stacked in neat rows. They were the bodies of, of stillborn children. So I learned very early in my ministry that this earthly body is fragile and vulnerable. When it's laid in the grave it's perishable, it's dishonorable, it's lost all the, the beauty and the warmth that gave it something attractive. It's dishonorable, it's weak, it's natural. It came from dust and it's returning to dust. Looked at from a secular point of view, we simply become part of the nitrogen cycle. You remember studying the nitrogen cycle for your GCSEs? We just become part of that. It's caught in that famous Yorkshire song, no Clean War, but A man dies. He's buried. He's eaten by worms. The worms are eaten by ducks. And then we eat the worms, and we shall all have eaten thee. It's the nitrogen cycle. And all because you went out on the Yorkshire moors without a hat. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 42, it says. So will, will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown, sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There's something Heartbreaking about this whole thing, this whole thing of death. In my first year at the Chessington Evangelical Church in 1985, I was on the JF camp with the 11 to 14-year-olds and their leaders. I think I was the speaker. We got news during the week that a, a mother in her late 30s had sat down on the couch at her home and had passed away, died just there and then sudden sudden death without an explanation and her 12 year old boy was on the JF camp as well it was really heartbreaking I would have done anything to turn the clock back to make things right for a, a weeping husband and a bewildered son and we stood by the coffin and longed for a better day the trumpet shall sound the dead shall be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. And this mortal body will be clothed with immortality. See, Jesus, the great creator, gave me a body that is going to be these. going to give me a body that is, is powerful and imperishable and immortal and spiritual. The body that I will receive when that last trumpet sound will be like his body, post-resurrection body, a body that is glorious, powerful, imperishable, and spiritual. This is why the Apostle Paul said in another part of the scripture, I think it was in Philippians, that he was eagerly, eagerly waiting for a Savior from heaven who would bring everything under his control. And who would transform our lowly bodies so that they might be like his glorious body. Anticipate your new body. One day, someone like me or someone like Andrew Drury will take someone like you and bury you in the ground, where you will so slowly deteriorate till you become dust. Or we'll take you to the fires of a crematorium to be returned to nature. You'll be like a seed, uh, shriveled, dead, unattractive, wooden, apparently lifeless. Is that all there is to life? For the Christian, there's a trumpet sound to wait for. As those soldiers outside the walls of Jericho sounded the trumpet and saw the mighty power of God destroy the walls of a city and save a family whose house was on the walls, the day will come when there'll be another trumpet sound, the last trumpet, a resurrection of the body, a new universe to explore and reign over, a paradise limited only by the vastness of the imagination of God. So here and now, here and now, be serious about living the Christian life. Be willing to make big sacrifices for God and the gospel and the person of Jesus. Be willing to endure the struggles of being an authentic Christian in a world that is often hostile to our faith. Please don't think that you have to squeeze as much out of this life as you possibly can because you're going to die one day. Don't think you've got to use as much of your money and your time and your energy on yourself to eat, drink, and be merry, because death's coming. Don't waste your life. Don't think that investing yourself deeply, personally, heavily in the kingdom of God is a waste of time, because the resurrection of the body is a promise that it will all be gloriously Worthwhile. That's why the Apostle Paul finishes this amazing chapter saying, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Why is it not in vain? Because the trumpet's going to sound. Death will be defeated. The graves will give up their victims. And those who have done who have trusted Christ will live forever with a new body in a new kind of world. Know this, the new world is coming, your new body is on its way, the best is yet to be and it will all be all the better for having lived by faith and hope in the resurrection. The Lord bless you and thank you.